Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of 1 Corinthians. We're going to be in, in chapter 6, and uh, we will take a break from that next week because it's going to be Easter, and how do you not talk about the resurrection of Jesus on Easter? But for today, we are continuing our walk through 1 Corinthians. The greatest testimony a church can have is being known for treating others as Jesus would treat them, right? I mean, that's fair. The worst testimony a church can ever have is to be known for having believers who do not want to get along. I mean, there are some churches that are not known for their faith. They're known for their fights and what happened in the parking lot or in the vestibule or in the the sanctuary. But in today's scripture, worldly concepts we see have infiltrated the church, much like even in today's culture. You're going to read this and feel like you're looking at the news today. But the core issue was self-gratification. People in the church wanting to please their own desires. And it was sending the wrong message to those outside of the church as they were not honoring God, whom they claimed to serve. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, this is a, this is not going to be a, a, uh, a fluff piece this morning. This is right out of the scripture. It stepped on my toes and I just pray that as we go through it that the Lord will uh, will deal with you and I accordingly. So as we start with this, just as a form of introduction, uh, I have never watched one single episode of any Real Housewives of Anywhere. I can say that with certainty. I have not seen the, the Real Housewives of uh, Iva or uh, Greenville, or Atlanta, or wherever else. I, I am not under a rock, though. I do know those, show exist, those shows exist, and, and I do know that uh, there are things that happen on that show, that they have drama, fighting, sex, oh, can I say that in church? Legal fights, and more. People watch it because it's entertaining. Maybe it's because they don't have that kind of drama in their lives and they feel better about themselves because they don't have all that drama. Or some people just like to churn and wallow in that. But whether you find this show entertaining or not, we come to a passage in Scripture today that paints a picture of the church at Corinth and they could have called it the real members of the church of Corinth. And it would have had everything that's in that show in this scripture. And if you, if you read this book, and especially this chapter through that kind of lens, you'll see it. Lots of drama, lots of lawyers, and lots of lascivious, lascivious living. Why in the world did I try to make a word like lascivious? I didn't make a word. It's an actual word. And it's an L. And you know, preachers, we gotta have the same letters for a couple of points. So lascivious living. What does lascivious mean? That just basically means feeling or revealing an overt and often offensive sexual desire. They were thinking with the wrong brains. They, they were not making sense. They were not giving themselves over to the spirit. It was all about their own self-gratification. And they were, they were living lives that were, were not what the church ought to be. Now, I know all of y'all here have got it all together and are perfect. This is for the other people, right? 
No. It's for me as well. We discussed Paul's instructions to the church at Corinth to discipline those within the church who are causing disunity. We talked about that in last week's chapter because they were poisoning the reputation of the church as having no spiritual backbone. Look, I'm telling you what, we are not going to probably get the praise or be on the front cover of any modern religious magazine if we stick to biblical values and we believe the Bible at face value for what it says. But that's okay. There are a lot of people that their backbone is gone and they are, they are catering to the God of political correctness and personal opinion and not the Word of God. It was happening there. It's happening here. The Corinthian church was not living up to the potential that they possessed in Jesus. And the members of the church we see here were suing other members of the church, which was a no-win situation. So uh, I, I would say now that uh, we do live in a, a culture that is just like this. If you say, well, it's so much worse today than it was back then. No, it was bad back then, too. So... As we look at our passages, the first thing we see is we need to handle your disputes in church like the Christians you claim to be. Handle disputes in church like the Christians you claim to be. Notice what it says in verse 1. The Corinthian church had a bad testimony. When one of you has a dispute with another believer, how dare you file a lawsuit and ask a secular court, in other words, a, a court that is not a church court, Why do you ask a secular court to debate on the matters instead of taking it to the other believers? Church, why can't you all work together as Christians to handle your disputes? Why do you got to take it to people outside of the church? But I'll tell you, lawsuits are are all over the place. And and in 2022, I found some pretty funny ones I want to share just a couple with you. There is a woman that is suing Kraft Heinz Company because she says Velveeta microwavable mac and cheese cups are not ready in three and a half minutes. You can't make this up. In the lawsuit, the woman claims that the time in front of the package does not include the other time-consuming steps, such as tearing off the lid. Yeah. There's a man suing Texas Pete hot sauce because it's made in North Carolina. You can't make it up. Now, this one, the packaging for Dulcolax laxatives says the product works naturally to help you go to the bathroom. A lawsuit claims the Dulcolax packaging takes advantage of consumers who want an all-natural product. They say customers lack the ability. I can't make this up. They lack the ability to test whether the Dulcolax is natural at the point of sale before they buy the product. So they're saying, I want to know it's natural. Now, who in here wants to take a laxative for a test drive in the store? No, thank you. I don't want to do that. And I certainly don't want to be around anybody that is doing that. If you're doing that in the store, please have a sign that says, I'm test driving a laxative. And we will just put you in the corner in the closet. But, I mean, it's funny, but, I mean, this is this is the case. It's kind of like I heard one of my favorite restaurants is a, a chicken place, and, and they have what they call buffalo wild wings, the, the boneless. And they're being sued because somebody says the buffalo wings have no buffalo in them. There you go. Well, 
There are more than 100 million cases that are filed each year in state trial courts, while roughly 400,000 cases are filed in federal courts. In 2023, there are 1.3 million lawyers in the United States. And it's funny, even secular writers back in the day of Corinth when this was written, they were writing about the fact that Corinth was notorious for having so many people taking people to court over civil matters. Not criminal matters, but civil matters. So believers in the church were suing one another over disputes. Instead of handling the dispute, they took them to court. This was ruining the reputation of the church in the city. So then we go to the Corinthian church was not living up to their God-given potential. We see this in verses 2 through 6. Don't you realize that someday we believers will judge the world? And since you are going to judge the world, can't you decide even these little things among yourselves? Don't you realize that we will be able to judge angels? So you should surely be able to resolve ordinary disputes in this life. If you have legal disputes about such matters, why go outside? Why go to outside judges who are not respected by the church? I am saying this to shame you. Isn't there anyone in all of your church who is wise enough to decide these issues? But instead, one believer sues another right in front of unbelievers. I cannot say this enough. This passage, this book, is not to the people outside the walls of the church. It's addressing the people inside the church. And Paul is saying, certainly if anybody knows a few scriptures or have, has heard anything that I've said, Paul is saying, then there's got to be somebody that can help you resolve these things without taking it outside of the church. I don't know if you caught that. In some translations, it's hard to really catch this, but we will judge the world at Jesus' reign. We will judge, we as, as his creation will judge the world and we will judge angels. So we should be able to judge correctly in a church dispute about which pie won the bank eating contest, but One day we will be judging the world and the angels. Now, this does not mean that we're going to be judging the good angels by how well they did their job. Well, you fly too high. You, you flew too low. You, you did it. No, we're not doing all of that. God created us. We are higher than them in that order. But one thing I will tell you that we will judge angels because there are angels that have fallen. We will judge fallen angels. We will judge demons. So why do you think that the devil and his demons try so hard to take you out now? Why do you think they try so hard to keep you from getting online with what God wants you to do? Because they know what we don't claim is that one day we will be judging them, not them tormenting us. That's what this says. So surely if we're going to have the authority that God has given us to rule over this world, to judge over this world, and to judge angels, surely we can get along in church. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe people are spending too much time reading Robert's Rules of Order rather than Scripture. 
If you want biblical references to judging angels, there's several. As God's children, we will be given a higher position than the angels. Galatians chapter 3, 1 Peter 2, Luke 1, Ephesians 1. Angels are not created in God's image and are not redeemed by Christ. That's why we are special. And also we see that God sends his angels to serve his saints. They're not just a little guardian angel. It's not a loved one watching over you. These angels, even right now as I preach this, they are good and evil angels battling it out. And there, there is a hedge of protection around this place. And there is spiritual warfare. Some of you are checking right with me. And some of you are hoping you get to your favorite restaurant and get your favorite table. And I'm okay with that. But if the Corinthian church... They were so proud of their gifts and their knowledge. If they were so smart, and if they were so enlightened, why did they have to go to lawyers and judges outside of the church to fix church problems? What do we as a church tell the world when we can't get along ourselves? Jesus did this, and Paul did this. He, it's a it's a Jewish uh, tactic of it, the writers would use, where they take an argument from the greater and they apply it to the lesser. So what he's saying here is, if they will judge the world with angels, why can't you judge in your church? Then in verse seven, we need to accept the injustice and leave it at that. Now this is a hard one to, to take, but but hang with me. Even to have such lawsuits with one another. Is a defeat for you. Why not just accept the injustice and leave it at that? Why not let yourselves be cheated? This is not saying take the W, I mean take the L. It's not saying just, just give up. It's not saying roll over. Let's see what he's really saying here. Paul was not against the legal system. Again, this is, when, as we go through this, I'm not saying that, that as a church that there are things that are egregious and criminal and unholy that happen in the church. You don't try to cover it up and keep it in the church. If it's criminal, you get the, you get the authorities involved, you get the law, you do whatever you need to do. Paul was not against anti-legal services. He even himself would use the legal services when they were wanting to put him in jail multiple times. He would say, no, you can't because I'm a Roman citizen. So Paul is not saying that the legal system is a sham. But what he's saying is, is when there are people in the church, which were happening here, that were arguing amongst one another, he was saying, surely y'all can handle it here and not have to go see Judge Judy. He was against church family fighting in courts over civil issues. For example, one church member sells a car to another church member, but the car is a lemon. And then all of a sudden, you got one family mad at the other family. They sold him a lemon. They knew what was wrong with that car, but they just sold it to him anyway. And then before you know it, people are fighting about a car in a church. People are fighting about somebody that, that did them wrong on a house sale or some kind of repair or or somebody was, they loaned somebody money and they didn't pay him back and it's all within the church and everybody gets all in a stir and they go to the preacher, you need to do something about this. 
or they talk to all their friends about it, never taking a moment to see what Paul said last chapter in chapter 5 about how to handle church discipline. Look, if somebody's done you wrong, go to them. Oh, I don't want to do that, preacher. That's your job. No, it's not. Not according to Scripture. You go first. If that doesn't happen, I'll go with you. And if that doesn't help, if it's within the church, I'll get the, I'll get the deacons and I'll, they'll be on my left and right and we'll go handle it. And it'll come before the church. But they weren't doing that. They were so smart. They were so enlightened. And so we see here that Paul is not teaching that a church should cover up any illegal criminal activity. My friends, our congregation, not our congregation, but our denomination and many other denominations are reaping the consequences of trying to cover up things that happen in a church that are illegal. And that is a worse testimony than even this. But what is he saying in this passage? What he's saying is that no one who accepts wrong for the sake of God's glory will be a loser. For example, one person sells a lemon to the other person, and and so that other person gets mad. They try to resolve it in church, but that one that dishonestly sold that lemon, he's not, he's not going to give up. So what Paul is saying, look, it's better for you if you're going to lose that case. Just go ahead and trust God to deal with that. Let me tell you why. The Corinthians were just like many today. They were more concerned about their rights than the rights of others. This is a hard lesson. God is not saying just take the loss. If you decide to submit to the agreement, regardless of feeling if you are right or wrong, God will bless you. You never know. If you if you say, okay, this guy's going to be a jerk. I'm not going to push it. I'm not going to take it to court. I'm just going to let God deal with that and God deal with me. God will bless you for it. You're not taking a loss. You're trusting God for justice. If the church failed to resolve the dispute, Paul is asking those involved to trust in God for justice not a secular judge or public lawsuits that have no spiritual bearing, no spiritual truth, and no spiritual discernment. And here we go. If you're politically correct, you're going to be very uncomfortable right now. If you can cheat another believer and not have a problem with it, you are the problem. So what he's saying is, he's saying, look, if if you can can... Trust God and God will bless you if you're the offended one. But if you're the one that sold the lemon, if you're the one that sold the car, you got a bigger problem. Let's read what he says. Instead, you yourselves are the ones who do wrong and cheat even your fellow believers. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, when you read that, you may be tempted to be like, oh, I'm glad I'm not any of those. 
You're probably thinking, oh, those people out there. And I know some people that fit in that category. And they're outside of the walls of these churches. And God knows they're not going to be inheriting kingdom. This wasn't written for them. It was written for those in the church. And then he says in verse 11, some of you, you once were like that. But you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in the spirit of our God. He's saying, look, you've got these things that are happening outside of the church. They should not be happening inside of the church among believers who claim to be Christians. There is no such thing as a dishonest Christian. They don't go together. The road to heaven will be filled with people who will be lost and disillusioned by self-proclaiming Christians that did them wrong. Some of the biggest hurts some of you and I have felt have been within the confines of an established church. And that ain't right. Carnal Christians, if you remember, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Christians that are, are given over to their sinful nature. Carnal Christians will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's what he's saying. Paul's not speaking to the ones who are struggling with sin. If you were in here and one of those things that was read in Scripture, you, you deal with, you, you struggle with, you, you struggle with thoughts, you struggle with whatever. He's not saying you're not going to heaven. What he's saying is, is if you can... Struggle in those ways and you just stop struggling. You give yourself over to it and you identify as a drunkard. You identify as someone who is sexually impure. You identify as a homosexual. You identify and these, these become who you are. You cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. Again, it's not for the people outside the church. It's for the people Inside the church, if you place your identity in that sin, that is where you have a problem. If your selfish, sinful desire, your sexual preference, or your need to one-up another believer comes before your faith, you have a problem. If you can actively indulge in dishonesty... And these other sins that are mentioned, Paul is not saying you will lose your salvation. He's saying to make sure your salvation is genuine. He's not saying that you can lose your salvation. He's saying, look, if you are changed by Christ, if you have the Holy Spirit within you, you shouldn't be able to sell a dishonest car to somebody in your church. You should not be partaking in these sins and causing the church to have to use church discipline because you have no sense and you're not acting like you're supposed to be acting because the Spirit is supposed to be within you. Again, this is not somebody who's struggling with sin. This is somebody who's owning it and proud of it. There is a difference. Our actions are not separate from our faith. They should come from the overflow of our faith. It would be very concerning to plant apple trees only to watch it produce peaches. A true Christian cannot treat another brother or sister in the faith dishonestly. Because, folks, cheating God is a big deal. Paul includes this man's sin with a list of other big sins. Please remember the intended audience again for this church For this letter was the congregation of the Corinthian church. They were people who were behaving badly. 
It was the real housewives of the Corinthian church, so to speak. We shouldn't think that a Christian who has committed an act of fornication or even homosexuality or any of the other listed sins is automatically excluded from kingdom. Oh, thank goodness. If all of a sudden I have an impure thought or if I tell a lie or if I do something sin, whoo, you're gone. You got your card to vote. That would be, that would be tough, wouldn't it? There wouldn't be hope for any of us. It's tempting for us to list these sins and point out all those outside of the church that are struggling with them. But again, Paul's talking to those inside the church. The culture of Corinth was coming in to the church. The man who cheated his brother had to see that in his life it was being dominated and characterized by sin just as much as the other people that Paul was describing. Now, just to, to, to clarify something, some translations like King James Version, when it's talking about homosexuality, he talks about those who are effeminate. The New King James Version calls it homosexuals nor sodomites. Some, some actually would say, and there are people that try to defend homosexuality from the Bible, and they will say, oh, no, 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 no. This, this verse here is talking about people who, who hire male prostitutes. It's not talking about a homosexual relationship with people who are in love with one another. No, it talks about both. It talks not only about the male prostitution, but it also talks about people who just live a sexually immoral life. Paul's words are clear. He is talking about all sexual sins that are outside of the bonds of marriage between a man and a woman. How do we know that? It's because we know in the very next chapter, he deals with marriage. And if you're interested, you may not be married. You may used to be married. You may think about being married. You may not have anything to do with being married. But not Sunday, but the following Sunday, we will go into the next chapter and we will talk about marriage as Paul is talking to this church that has lost their way. And look, when Paul was writing this, you know, I told Donna, I said, oh boy, I guess somebody's going to flame me on Facebook or something. They made, I don't care. Well, I do care, but it is what it is. I can't change what's written here. But um, we would like to think that, oh, it's so much worse today. No, it was bad back then. Homosexuality in Corinth was so rampant in the ancient world that 14 out of the first 15 Roman emperors were bisexual or homosexual. Those that were in office, 14 out of the first 15. And at the time Paul wrote this, Nero was emperor. Nero actually castrated a boy, named him Sporus, and then married him with a full ceremony. Brought him to the place with a great procession and made this boy his wife. Later, the emperor lived with another man and Nero was declared to be the other man's wife. So, look, we have not come too far from where it used to be. I am sure that many of the reasons Paul was being thrown in jail is preaching things like this. But then he goes into verse 11 and he basically says, remember who you are. Some of you were once like that. Once. 
Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in the spirit of our God. He's saying, come on, y'all. I know it's all around you. I know it's in the government. I know it's being pushed down your throat. But it doesn't change the fact that you are changed. You are cleansed. You are different. It doesn't mean that we are better than anybody outside of the walls of these church. It doesn't mean that I'm better than you because I have pastor in my title. It just means that we have been touched by the master's hand and we need to act like it. These things that he's saying, saying, you were cleansed from that. God has called you to live apart from that stuff, not in it. Because again, that culture was just like today. It was everywhere. And it was infiltrating the church just like it is today in many churches and denominations. As a believer, you have the Holy Spirit within you. It goes where you go and sees what you do in public and in private. So avoid lascivious living and run from it in chapters 12, I mean, verses 12 through 20. He's talking about avoiding sexual sin. He's really doubling down on sexual sin, isn't he? Why is that? Because he knows that sin is sin, but sexual sin not only affects your relationship with the Lord, but there are physical consequences as well. You say, I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. Some translations say not everything has been... Everything, not everything is, what is this? I wrote it down here. I'll get it in a minute. You say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I am allowed to do anything, it must not become a slave to anything. You say food was made for the stomach and stomach for the food. This is true, though someday God will do away with both of them. But you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord, and the Lord cares about our bodies. And God will raise us from the dead by His power, just as He raised our Lord from the dead. Where it says, I am allowed to do anything, or some translations say, everything is permissible for me. Paul likely, is when he writes this, that was likely a saying back then, that people were just saying, I'm allowed to do anything. Come on, Paul, you said that we can do anything we want. We are free to do anything, and you were talking about our stomachs. We don't need to, to worry about what we eat, so God gave us our stomachs. We could eat whatever we want. God gave us our private parts. We could do anything we want to with Him too. That's their line of theology that they were following. And they were wrong. They took the truth that Paul was teaching and then applied it to justify sexual immorality. And he's having to correct them on that. Permissible things are not necessarily beneficial. Paul counters it by telling them that permissible things aren't necessarily beneficial. You can take a key, put it in your hand, and put it in a light socket. You're permitted to do that, but it would not be beneficial. You can get a good hairdo out of that, I guess. Verse 15, don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Just like we sang earlier, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. 
He said, should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it with a prostitute? Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her. For the scriptures say the two are united to one, but the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. What we, what we fail to see is back then with that theology that they had, if God gave me parts, I might as well use them. They actually had other temples, temples to Artemis and, and Aphrodite and other gods that they would actually, they would have temple prostitutes where you could go to church and be immoral and call that worship. That's how twisted they were. And Paul is saying, look, if, if you are if you are married and you are with somebody is not your spouse, then you are one with them. Now, I have done many weddings, officiated many weddings. And we talk about where the two become one, leave father and mother and cleave to one another. And I tell the couples, it's like peanut butter and jelly. Once you put them together, you're never going to get them apart. But he says here, don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? He becomes one body and spirit. That is the way God designed it. When you are intimate with your spouse, y'all not only become one in the physical sense, there is a spiritual thing and an emotional thing that happens that God has ordained. But yet, casual encounters or getting the milk and not having the cow, if you know what I mean. Casual encounters, that process of becoming one of body and spirit, it still happens. But it is not under the covering of the Lord. It is not done within marriage. And look, look, I know that there are many people that are out there and they will say, oh, this is outdated. Oh, you sound like a, one of those old Southern Baptist preachers. No, I am reading what God's word says. And I will tell you, and I know this, that any time you are with somebody, there is a physical connection There is a spiritual connection and an emotional connection. And you can call it a chance encounter. You can call it a uh, tender date. You can call it whatever you want to call it. But every time you're with somebody, you are losing a piece of your spirit that was meant for your spouse. Whether they are with you or whether you have yet to meet them. This is not old traditional thinking this is what god is saying when you are with somebody it is a physical thing it is a spiritual thing it is a holy thing and the more you give away the less there will be for the person that god intends for you to marry some of you will be in here and you'll say "Woo! i'm glad he's not talking to me i've never for lack of a better term done it with anybody else other than who i was supposed to when, he, when you talk about sexual immorality here, he's also going not only to what you do with the body, but what you do in the mind. It's what you put before your eyes, what you put in your heart, what you dwell on, what you can't kick. If you are comparing your spouse with something you see on a computer or in a book, is that not the same thing? Again, I'm not talking to the people outside the walls of this church. I'm talking about the people that are in the church. It may not be anybody here, but in some church today, that will be somebody because it happened in Corinth and it's happening today. 
But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. In the moment of lust, there is a search for love, acceptance, and satisfaction. You can lie to me all day. Oh, no, preacher. It's just a physical act. I I ask couples all the time when they're getting married. I'll say, tell me the difference between lust and love. And we talk about some of this stuff here. And and, and the thing is, is that the, the act of sex is just that. It's an act. And people want to say it's kind of like mowing the lawn or washing the dishes. It's just something you do. God gave us the parts. Let's do it just like they were doing back in Corinth. But no one ever takes seriously the becoming one, the spirit, the physical, the emotional. True love and satisfaction only comes through walking with the Lord, not random physical acts of pleasure. Sexual sin is unique because by joining to someone other than one's spouse, a person enters into an illegitimate union of one body. This is why people who experience emotional, physical, psychological, and spiritual scars usually results over sexual sin. And so what does Paul say? Does Paul say, what I want you to do is I want you to just stand there and try to resist it as hard as you can? What does he say? Does he say, look, I want you to sit here and say, you'll never do that. I want you to go to, to where stuff's going on. I want you to go to that website. I want you to go to this. I want you to go to that. And I want you to just go ahead and tell God, show God how strong you are. Is that what Paul is saying? Absolutely not. He tells us to run like Forrest Gump. He says in verse 18, run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a price, so you must honor God with your body. If you are a believer, your body is no longer your own. It's no different than if I were, if you needed a truck and you say, preacher, can I borrow your truck? Sure, absolutely. I'll let you drive my truck for a week. And then that week, hopefully, you would take extra care of it because it's not yours. So we should take extra care of our bodies because it's no longer ours. It was bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. And so our response to lascivious living should be to run. Don't test yourself. Don't try to withstand a temptation. Physical temptation is hard to come, overcome. But it's best to run from it. A great biblical example would be Joseph and Potiphar's wife. And then Paul is not only talking about the actual actions but the thoughts, the intentions, and the unchecked desires that will let, let consume you. But God calls believers to sexual purity. This is not just a true love waits message. Some of you that used to be in youth group, you remember the true love waits movement. Oh, I got a promise ring. I signed a card. And all that kind of good stuff. Those, those true love waits things were, were, were good for the time, but I don't know how much good it did. Yeah, true love waits, and sometimes it doesn't. (laughs) God calls believers to sexual purity here. This is a true love, is a godly message for everyone, for families, for singles, etc. So as we, we head to home base here, 
Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. It is where God lives. My friend, if you partake as a Christian in sinful activity, you are taking the Holy Spirit with you. You can't say, okay, Holy Spirit, I'm going to go over here and do this for a minute. You just stay right over here, and I'll come get you when I'm done. It doesn't happen like that. Where you go, He goes. What you do, He has to go through it. When a husband and wife expect intimacy within marriage, it is an act of worship that God has ordained. When it's done outside of marriage, it is an act that is not by God's design. It does not have the covering of God over it. No matter what the government says. Sexual immorality in whatever form takes As adultery, fornication, homosexuality, pornography, all of it makes a mockery of God's design. Because I'll go ahead and tell you, if all you heard today was me preaching against homosexuality, you have missed it. Because there are a lot of other sins that were in there too that may hit you and may hit me. Homosexuality is no worse than anybody else is struggling. There are people that struggle with that. There are people that actually don't consider it a struggle and are fine with it. Still doesn't make it right. Still doesn't mean I don't love them. It still doesn't mean that I don't want to, you know, okay, if I'm wrong, fine. I'm okay with you telling me I'm wrong. I'm okay with you telling me that God's word is wrong, but it's not up to me to defend it. God's word needs no defense. People have been trying to kill it and destroy it for years, and it keeps coming back. And if I am wrong, I've lost nothing. But if I am right, I've gained everything. Folks, God's going to call everyone into account for how they manage their sexuality. As an individual, as a husband, as a wife, a son, a daughter, a preacher, a welder, an office worker, a housewife, you name it. We're all going to be given an account for how we manage our sexuality. So in conclusion, build his church. Be the Christian that God has called you to be. That is what Paul is saying in a response to lawyers and lascivious living. Don't spend your time in court. Don't spend your time trying to outdo one another. Don't spend your time trying to, well, you know. God has called his church to live a life that honors him. We have been placed in this world to be different, to be better, to show hope to the world that believers should treat others the way Jesus treats them. Paul was addressing the same problems then that churches deal with today. We will be judged in our actions and individuals and how we treat one another. You may not believe this, but your sin impacts you, those you live with, And those you worship with. God wants you to walk in the path he has laid out for you. One one of love, protection, and blessing. So as we end today, be above reproach in your dealings with the church. Treat others as Jesus would treat them. And if you can treat others badly with no guilt, ask yourself why. Avoid lascivious, sinful living, run from it, and honor God with your body. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. 
this is uh, refreshing. This is true. This is your word. And none of it is shared in hate. None of it is shared in um, in any form of that we're better than anybody else. It is just you're telling us the way we should live as Christians. So, dear Heavenly Father, this invitation time today is simple. Maybe someone wants to pray at the altar. Maybe they want to, they realize that they want to be cleansed. They want to start new. This, this life that Paul was talking about where all that is gone and we can act differently are no longer enslaved to these passions. Maybe someone wants to be set free from that today. They can come forward. We'll pray with them. They can accept your son as their Savior and Lord today on Palm Sunday. Or maybe someone just wants to pray, join the church, be baptized, whatever it may be, Lord. May you work, for it's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand?